We're going to spend some time now studying the Bible together. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. My privilege to teach the Word of God week after week. Um, so this is just a priority, a central part of what we do in the gathering. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word. So as we study His Word, we're hearing Him speak to us. We're listening to His voice. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus Himself. And we're in the book of Proverbs right now, which is in the middle of your Bible, if you want to open up to the book of Proverbs. If you don't have your own Bible, we've got some black Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one of those black Bibles. We should be close to page 528 or 529 uh, as we continue this series in Proverbs. We've subtitled the series, Scandalous Wisdom. The big idea is scandalous wisdom because as we walk with God, as we obey God's standards in our culture, that's going to be confusing and scandalous and strange to those around us. Uh, But the idea is as we actually walk with God and obey what he says, that's going to be a blessing. It's going to give life to those around us as well. So we want to encourage one another to walk with him, to listen to his voice, to walk in biblical wisdom. This week, as we move into chapter four, we're calling it Grow Up in Truth. Grow Up in Truth. There's a lot of imagery here of childhood, developmental stages, kind of moving through the stages of growth, which just triggered a memory. Please continue to pray for my second grandbaby. She's not here yet. Do any moment. So please continue to pray for her, for my daughter, uh, as we wait expectantly for that uh, news as well. But the text, Growing Up in Truth, is about growing up. It's about what does it look like for us in a spiritual sense to grow up in our maturity and our ability to listen to God's voice and obey Him. And he's going to use a lot of imagery from physical growing up, right? And it reminded me of my son when he was around eight or nine years old, he went through this phase where he just kept saying for like two years, I never grow. I haven't grown in two years. Like he would just say that again and again, like, yeah, I don't grow. I haven't grown. I haven't grown in like two years. I haven't grown in three years. And he would just say this again and again. And we'd like walk him over to the little place on the, on the wall where we measured the kid's growth. And we were like, no, see, you've, you've grown half an inch. And we'd measure him again and we'd show him his progress. I think part of it was he was just going through a long period where he wasn't growing as quickly, right? And you know what that's like. If you've watched your own child grow, it's hard to, hard to tell when you see them every day or your own self. It's hard to tell sometimes if you're growing. But we knew that if, uh, you know, all things being equal, he was healthy, he didn't have any major disease. If we fed him and watered him, and rested him, he would keep growing, right? Like those are kind of the basics. If you don't mess those up, your, your kid's going to grow. The spiritual life is, is very similar. If you devote yourself to feeding on the word, you're going to grow. You're going to grow up. So we're going to see this here in the text. We're going to see it in chapter four. What I want to do is just read uh, the first nine verses And then I'm going to read two more verses by themselves. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter at first. We'll read the whole chapter as we move through the morning. But just starting off, I want to read the first nine verses to start. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. And he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. 
And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Very similar language to what we've seen already in Proverbs. There's honor, there's glory, there's beauty in paying attention to God's word in hearing his voice and, and walking with him. I'm going to read two more verses to kind of preview the other big ideas that are going to be explained in the rest of this text. Verse 14, it says this, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. There's going to be an, a choice that's going to come to us again and again as we walk through life to walk on the path, the way, the route of the evil or to walk on the path of God. It says, don't choose the path of evil. And then finally, verse 23. This will be the last big idea that we see in our text this morning. Verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. We're going to see this movement through the developmental stages of spiritual growth. And we've got to rest all of these stages on God's truth. His truth is what's going to give us life as as children in the faith. His truth is what's going to help us to stay on the path. And then finally, his truth is what's going to heal our hearts as we get beat up by the difficulties of life, by the external problems as well as by our own sin. His truth will heal our hearts. Let me pray that God's Spirit would meet with us, that He would help us to hear and listen what He has to say. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that You would be with us this morning, that as we study Your Word, that You would shape us by it. Um, Lord, we confess to You uh, that we're independent-minded. We want to make our own truth. We want to do our own things. We just lay that on the table. We confess that to You, Lord. We recognize that You, as, as the Creator of all things, You know better than we do. And we recognize even more as, as our Redeemer, as the Savior who hasn't just left us in our difficulty and in our sin and our addiction, but you've come after us. We recognize that you are gracious and you desire to see us healed and walking in truth. So based on that incredible heart of mercy that you have for us, we, we ask that your Spirit would help us to hear you, to see you, and to walk with you. Meet us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the big idea is growing up, growing up in truth. The truth is the food, water, rest that we need uh, to walk with God, to hear his voice and to walk in obedience and to grow up and and mature in that process. And we see three phases, three developmental stages here. Um, Number one, the truth gives life. Verses one through nine, we read all of those verses already. Truth gives life, the kind of childhood focus there. The second phase is truth is a path. Truth is a a path that you walk along. And then the third phase that we'll see is that truth heals our hearts. Uh, Maybe even more so, it's needed for those of us walking in maturity. We've been walking on the path for a long time. We need our hearts to constantly be renewed by God's kindness as it is revealed in the truth of God's word. So number one, truth gives life. Truth gives life. We saw this already in chapter four, verses one through nine. We have childish images here little kid images, baby images, toddler images. It's not just a reference to dad here, but also to grandpa. And I want to reiterate, I've said this in different ways throughout the Proverbs series, as we're called to listen to our parents, it is also a call to listen to God's word. There's an assumption that the parents are speaking God's word. 
So children, you're just supposed to obey your parents, right? Like that's just a rule, and that's for your protection. But all things being equal, parents should be speaking God's word, right? And so those are blended together in the Proverbs. The parent is the primary first teacher of God's word for your children. And this goes to a philosophy we have about how discipleship works in the home. Uh, Parents, you are deputized by God to be the primary Sunday school teacher, small group leader, and discipler of your own children. We're going we're gonna to bring all the equipment we can, all the tools we can to help you, right? We're going we're gonna to try to develop a youth ministry and a Sunday school program and all these other things to help you do that. But you're the one that's been deputized to disciple your children in the truth. And so when the Proverbs speaks, the Proverbs is speaking out of what should be normal in your home, that you as a parent are the primary speaker. So this is a call to parents to speak the truth to their children, but it's also a call to all of us to listen to the truth. The truth gives life. There's a recounting in verse 3 you'll see of being tender, being little. Do you feel small and tender before God? There's also this cool little phrase here. It says, the only child in the sight of my mother, the only one in the sight of my mother. Uh, A lot of commentators are saying this doesn't mean he's technically an only child. This means he remembers that focused attention that mama gave, gave him, that that sweet delight that the mother has in her child, right? That that's really what this is emphasizing here. It's like you're the only one, right? And God has that kind of tender care for you. You should see God in that same lens here. And so big idea for truth gives us life is verse four. Verse four says, keep my commandments and live. You see that, that last little phrase? Keep my commandments and live. Life comes and is sustained by obeying God. When we go off the rails and disobey God, it causes problems. I can remember as a parent hitting this face. Uh, we have three kids, and I, I remember just distinctly hitting this phase where I was no longer constantly nervous. Because a large part of being a parent is keeping your child alive. And so there's just this tension you feel like, oh no, where are they? Or Oh, what are they getting into? You hear a weird noise. And you're like, what is that noise? What's happened? You know, did something fall on them? What's going on? Or, or you don't hear any noise at all. You're like, what's, what's going on? They're too quiet, right? You're worried about it. You're always worried that they're going to fall off a cliff or walk into the street or stick their finger in an electrical socket, right? It's your job as parents to keep them alive. So it's perfectly appropriate to have this kind of relationship with your kid. Like, pay attention to me and you'll stay alive, right? Listen to my words. We should have that same kind of relationship with God's word. We should see ourselves as a dumb two-year-old that's just going to walk off a cliff if we're not listening to God's word. Like we're we're just not that smart, guys. It's especially difficult for those of us that think we are smart. I have to confess, sometimes I fall into the sin of thinking I'm smart, of thinking like, oh, I know the answer. I can figure that out, right? Being intuitive, I got this. We have to maintain a humility before God of like, God, I don't, I don't got this. I, I can't figure it out. I need you. Maintain that childlike simplicity before God of God. I'm not going to live if I don't listen to you and your word. And we have to recognize that everything in us, both by temperament, but, but also by culture, tells us, no, you're smart. You got it. You can figure it out. Listen to your own heart. Look into your own soul. Follow your own directions for life. And the scripture says, no, that's, that's going to kill us. That's going to mislead us. 
recognize that we think it's naive to think that God's Word gives us life. But God's Word says, no, my truth gives life. It will protect you. So just recognize that own battle in our own souls, right? Just recognize, man, I think, I think I'm too cool to need God's Word. I think I'm too smart to need God's Word. I remember years ago hearing the story of, of my former pastor. He's passed away now, but when he was a, a very young father, they lived in a small house in Temple, Texas. Uh, and he told the story of hearing this weird sound in the middle of the night, and he just knew something wasn't right. It was like a screech from one of his kids. It was two or three. It just didn't sound right. Something was weird. He woke up and found himself kind of not feeling very steady. And he was like, something's not right. He thought he could smell a weird smell. He didn't know what was going on. He went to, started to go check on his kids. And he started to realize, like, I think, I, th- I think it's gas, right? I think it's the carbon monoxide poisoning taking place. He, he barely made it over to his neighbor's house. And he collapsed on his neighbor's front porch, like, rang the doorbell and just collapsed, like passed out because carbon monoxide had been slowly leaking into their house from a furnace that had a leak, had some kind of problem. Thank God for the intervention. Like a lot of times the baby doesn't cry. That's why we have carbon monoxide detectors in our homes, right? A lot of times you don't smell it, you don't sense it, you just die. It's the slow poison that you don't even realize is there. What I want you to see is that that's the same thing as disobeying God's word. And we think it's naive to think that it's going to kill us because it is a slow poison. It's like it takes a lifetime for it to kill us as we walk away from God. Because we've all had this experience where parents told us, told us to do this thing. We have some independence as we get older. We disobey our parents and nothing happens. You ever had, don't raise your hand, but I know you've had that experience, right? You disobey your parents. They told you this was so important. And then you're like, I didn't get punished. There was no lightning bolt. Everything's okay. Even worse with a particular moral sin issue. You're like, I've been told all my life, my Sunday school teachers told me that this was really bad and God didn't want me to do it. But I did this thing and it was kind of fun. And nothing really bad happened. What I want you to understand is it's a slow poison. It's, it's killing you step by step. And it doesn't come all at once. First time you disobey, all of a sudden your life's on fire. No, it's slow. Sin is a terrible slave master. And it will take more and more from you over time and give less and less. It always feels fun at first. Well, maybe not always. It often feels fun right at first. But it is a slow poison that will kill you more and more day by day. The Proverbs is saying that God's word gives us life. It's a protection for us against these things. Keep my commandments and live. He says, be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Don't forsake my teaching. So again, this, this kind of desperate language we keep seeing in Proverbs. Hold on to it. Don't forsake it. Hold on to it. Verse two, I give you good precepts. Don't forsake my teaching. Verse three, when I was a son... With my father, it's bringing now grandfather into the picture, tender, the only one on the side of my mother. She cared for me. She paid attention to me. He taught me. And he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. He goes on in verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Don't forget, don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. I love that one. You ready? Here's the big secret to wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. You're going to need to go get yourself some wisdom, okay? You are desperately lacking. Earlier on in Proverbs, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's still true. He's not negating that, right? Awe, amazement. God, you're bigger than me. God, you're awesome. God, you're gracious. Awe and fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But also, there's this practical standpoint of like, the beginning of wisdom is just recognizing I don't have wisdom. I'm going to need to get some, okay? You get it through God's word. You get it by listening to God's word. So the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. He goes on, says, whatever you get, get insight. Verse eight, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown and a honor shame culture here. It's saying you will, you'll feel honored when you honor wisdom. You'll feel this beauty when you see the beauty of wisdom. There's one particular phrase here I want to point out. It says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. It's an interesting phrase in Hebrew. The Hebrew root is a very simple one that means to lift up. It's, uh, I believe, salal. I have to look this up so I don't, uh, I'm not that great at Hebrew, so I got to look at my notes. Salal in Hebrew means to lift up, but this is a kind of a different form. It's uh, salsaha, and that different form of it has, has kind of a little more to it than just living, lifting up. Prize her highly is a good way of saying that. Some translators say it's, it's almost like when you would stroke someone's face because you love them. There's a, a little more of a visceral closeness here in this phrase. Kind of like how you might curl the hair on your child's head, right? Or grasp their chin to give them a kiss. Like a... a a spouse embracing their spouse or like a parent holding up their child and giving them kisses and and holding them tight. It's this kind of bodily picture of of closeness. I grabbed a picture of of a mom holding up a baby. It's saying you should have this just kind of joy at God's word. Ah, delight in your word, Lord, I need it. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Ah, I've got it. Here it is. God, your word, you, you love me. This old Sunday school teacher that's passed away years ago in my life used to say again and again, it just was like this theme that came up again and again in his prayers and in his teaching. He was like, God, we thank you that you have not left us without instruction. Like, thank you that you've actually spoken to us, right? It's not the parent that never says anything, but it's the parent that cares. And so there's this delighting, this prizing highly, this holding close. And that's what we're called on to do if we really believe that God's truth gives us life, to prize it. I need this. Do you have that attitude? Are you cynical? Are you like me and sometimes thinking, I'm too smart. I don't, I don't need the answers. I fall into this all the time when I'm trying to put something together. You get the item, you need to assemble it. You're like, I don't need to read the instructions. I can just put it together. And then, of course, you have to put it together like three times and read the instructions the third time to get it right. Um, Don't be like that. Recognize you need the instructions. You need God's guidance. You need his word. You need to hear his voice. Prize it highly. Some of the key words here as we understand that truth gives life as we want to prize it highly in our life are hear, right? You need to listen. Then there's that intensifier. It said, be attentive, right? And then he goes on and says, don't forsake it. 
Don't, don't leave the word, but, but hold on to the word that he's given you. Hold fast is this like strong grip. Um, hold fast is a, a biblical phrase for like tightly gripping onto something. Hold fast to God's word. Keep my commandments and live. Keep God's commandments and live. Do you see it in that desperate situation? Keep commandments and live. Keep God's commandments and live. Well, as we try to take hold of this, I want to use a a cross-reference from Psalm chapter 1. I mentioned Psalm chapter 1 last week. It's like a a really strong wisdom psalm. It's the gateway to the rest of the psalms, and it's written like a proverb. And it gives the two paths analogy, but it also shows us a way in which we can prize God's word, how we can prize it highly. It says that the one who is walking on the path of God's word, the one who is paying attention to the truth, will meditate on God's word, will delight in God's word. And that word for meditate in Psalm chapter 1 is a beautiful word. It's Hagah in the Hebrew. And it's this word that is also used for the noises that animals make, like the cooing of a dove or the growling of a lion or the the groaning of someone who is sobbing in pain. And so again, another just kind of beautiful physical, visceral word picture from the Hebrew text. Are you muttering, moaning, and groaning God's word back to him? That's what we're called on to do. Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word. Meditate sounds like, I'm just thinking about this thing, but it actually means to be muttering and moaning, to be groaning and crying God's word back to him. Are you desperate? It starts with actually knowing God's word, right? You, you got to read it. You got to listen to it. Are you reading it? Are you memorizing it? Are you learning scripture? And then are you saying it back to him? Moaning, groaning, crying, muttering, speaking, shouting, singing. A, a great habit is to learn God's word and then pray it back to him. Another great habit is to pray it out loud. That's something that's very normal for the Jews. We tend to, in our culture, more often just pray out loud in public settings, and then we pray silently in private settings. And that's okay. God, God can hear you, right? God can hear you as you speak to him in your thoughts. But I think it's a really helpful habit to start trying it. It might be something just to practice in your own life. Speaking your prayers out loud. Saying them out loud, groaning and muttering and crying God's word back to him. Well, the second point we see is that truth is a path. Truth is a path. Um, It's not just a one-time decision, but it's an ongoing decision to stay on the right path. It's not like you start walking with God and you're on the right path and then you never get off again, right? If you've been walking with God very long, you know you wander off and then you have to get back on the path. You wander off, you have to get back on the path. Proverbs is saying, stay on the path. Stay on the path. If you found yourself wandered off, get back on the path, right? It's a practice. It's an ongoing exercise of listening to God and doing what he says and staying on his path, the path of truth. So I have a picture here of two paths in the woods. And I just want you to be thinking of this again and again. You're going to be offered a decision point, uh, a choice to choose if you're going to walk with God and do what he says or walk off to the other path. And in our culture, that other path is 
Hey, come over here. It's going to be awesome. Don't stay on God's path. You're an idiot. Why would you listen to God? Go this other direction. It's just going to be a constant barrage throughout your life and my life. So we're going to have to make this uh, choice again and again. We're going to have to make this commitment, this practice to keep walking on the path of truth. Jesus agrees as well. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there's like this wide, easy path, but it leads to destruction. And then there's this narrow path of walking with him. Choose to walk with him on the path. Verse 10 says, Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. The picture here is the more you walk on the path of truth, the more you will find success. And we've talked about how a lot of times the Proverbs can be twisted into a mechanical understanding or a health and wealth sort of teaching that says, if you obey, God is bound and he has to automatically bless you in the same proportion. And life is way more complicated than that. But there is a general promise of obedience gives life. It gives clarity. God's law, God's rules are going to guide you into good things. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Again, that sense of desperation. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Hope you see this kind of intensification, right? So first he offers the promise of, hey, if you walk on God's path, it's going to go well for you. You're not going to stumble. Things are going to be cool, right? The promise of blessing. And then he says, but you're going to be tempted to walk off the path. Don't go. He's preparing us. Are you going to be tempted? Am I going to be tempted? Yes. Repeatedly tempted to go off the path. We're going to be told again and again, oh no, it's better over here. Forget what God says. Do this. Listen to yourself. Look into your own soul. Live out your own dreams about you and who you are. You get to determine who you are and what your identity is. No, the word says that's, that's a path of destruction. It's going to get worse and worse. And again, we can be cynical as we hear this because it sounds so stark and so black and white and so clear. And, you know, we all know there's way more nuance than that and life's more complicated than that. And we know plenty of people that walk off the path and they seem so nice, right? What it's saying here is there's an intensification the addiction of sin may start out nice and it may be great, but it gets worse and worse and it, it twists our own soul in towards self. There may be great fun in listening to your heart, but if that becomes your God and you continue down that path, it's going to twist you into wickedness. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. The path of listening to your own heart and defining reality for yourself, of being your own God, seems very reasonable in a modern world. It starts out just fine. Immediately, you don't see a lot of damage. You don't see a lightning bolt coming down from heaven. You don't even see a lot of destruction around you. But there's this increasing selfishness that snowballs in your life and it will begin to destroy you and the people around you and that's the picture that we have painted here they can't sleep unless they've done wrong they're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble for they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence 
But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Again, there's an intensification here. You start off on the path of the wicked, it just seems like fun. But if you keep going, it's going to get worse and worse. It builds over time. And the flip side of that is if you walk in the path of obedience, you're actually going to have a light to shine for others. It's going to be this intensification. It's going to get brighter and brighter as the dawn breaks. It's this image of a brighter light of more benefit, of more clarity, not just for you. It's not just like when I obey, my path is more clear. You're actually going to have light to share with others. You're going to have something to give to those around you. That's this beautiful vision. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5. He said, let your light shine before men. They would see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There's a tension that we walk in here, as I've said again and again. It it probably sounds like I'm saying kind of two opposite things, but I I believe both of them are true, okay? As you walk with Jesus, you're going to have this light to shine for others. You are genuinely going to bless other people. And... As you walk with Jesus, you're going to be a scandal to other people. They're going to mock you. They're going to say you're an idiot. And they're going to keep trying to pull you off the path. Both things happen in this world. As Peter talks about this in one of his letters in the New Testament, he talks about how we suffer for obeying Jesus. Just like Jesus says, they hate me. They're also going to hate you. Sometimes when we obey Jesus, we're going to suffer for that. People are going to think we're going to, uh, are idiots. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to cause us problems. But Peter has this really interesting transition in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, but then at some point there's going to be this switch where as you suffer for Jesus and you're walking with him and you're hoping in him, people are going to see that and then they're going to ask you like, no, wait, why do you have hope? Like just yesterday they were making fun of you for walking with God. And the next day they're like, wait, I see light here. And they're going to ask you to give a defense, a reason for the hope that is within you. It's this amazing opportunity we have of a a dawning light, more and more light, of shining our light for others to see. It's not always easy. Some days it feels terrible. And then other days we're like, oh, now now they actually want to hear about this Jesus that I'm following. Um, As we walk on this path, it's a basic path of obedience. I want to make sure that we don't downplay this The next point, we're going to talk more about the gospel goodness of Jesus and how he motivates us to be on this path of obedience. But I just want to emphasize that there is real good in obedience. We're a church that believes very strongly that we've all disobeyed, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have disobeyed God's rules, and we need his forgiveness and grace. But we don't want to jump so quickly to that need of his forgiveness and grace that we forget there's real benefit in actually walking in obedience. None of us have done it perfectly. We need his forgiveness to keep getting back on the path, but there's real rich blessing in walking on the path of obedience. Don't skip over that too quickly. As we go, oh yeah, yeah, but nobody can really obey, right? Well, yeah, but we can obey as we are forgiven by Jesus and begin walking a new life with him. It won't be perfect, But there is great blessing in obedience and listening to his voice, walking the path. As we walk this path, one thing I want to clarify that comes under attack a lot in our culture is we are often told that, well, since the Old Testament's weird and different 
and we have these ceremonies and these food laws that we don't all obey now, that it's all just incomprehensible. Because it's not simple, that means we can't understand any of it. And I just want to challenge you that the moral framework, moral obedience in the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament. Very clearly the same. Is the Old Testament harder to understand? Yes. Is it culturally more distant from our culture? Yes. Are there weird ceremonies and rituals that we no longer practice? Yes. Is the moral obedience framework the same? Yes. The core is the same. God still doesn't want you to murder or lie or cheat on your spouse. He still wants you to worship only Him. That moral framework is the same. So don't let yourself be told like, oh, well, you know, it's too confusing to obey God. Uh, you know, No, obedience is, is very simple. We just need a heart change to help us to obey. We need the Holy Spirit to actually enable us to do it, to stay on the path. And as we do that, as we have a changed heart, as we see God as good, as we start to believe that Jesus is for us, then our mind will change about his commands. We'll start to see his commands as sweet, as good, because we trust him more and more. And that's why, that's how we'll continue to walk on the path, seeing more and more that God is good, that he can be trusted. As we think about this path concept, remember John 14, uh, the disciples' hearts were frustrated because Jesus was talking about leaving them. And they're like, we don't understand Jesus. Like you're going somewhere. Where are you going? We don't know what's going on. How can we follow you if we don't know where you're going? Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the path and the truth and the life. Apart from me, no one can come to the Father. So they're like, how can we follow you? How can we get on the path? We're confused about what the path is. We don't know. And so to simplify it, Jesus says, I am the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So is it a path of moral obedience, of following God's commands? Absolutely yes. How do we get there? We get there through Jesus. That's the only way to get ourselves on that path. Jesus is the path. The more we see him, as our Lord, as our Savior, the more we'll want to obey Him. And this brings us to the last point. Truth heals our heart. Truth heals our heart. We see this in verses 20 through 27. I think I said this before. Sometimes I mix up what I said at the 9 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service. But I think to some degree, even more so for older people or people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, I think even more so we need to attend to our hearts. It's kind of like how you get older, you have more heart problems physically, you know? I think as we get older and we've been walking with Jesus longer, we can start to think we've got it figured out. But we can drift in our heart and forget that God is good, that he loves us. We have to continue attending to our hearts. The truth of God is what's going to heal our hearts and bring us back to like, oh, I can trust God, right? Like we go down this weird journey where we think we can trust him, so we start obeying him. We obey him longer and longer, and then all hell breaks loose in our life. And we're like, God, I was obeying you. You're supposed to make my life perfect. How dare you, right? And we start to question whether we can really trust him anymore. And so the truth of his word is what helps us to see, no, I, I can trust him. He is good. The truth heals our heart. So 
We see this heart emphasis in verses 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they are healing to all their flesh. God's Word heals us. You're going to get scraped up, beat up, and hurt in this world. This is a broken world. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. But His Word is what's going to heal you when you get in those scrapes, when you get beat up. Verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Again, how are we going to obey Him? We're going to obey Him when we actually trust Him. To say this, to reverse engineer it, when you walk off the path, and you're like, forget you, God, I'm done with you. What's happening? When you're veering off the path, you're saying, I I can't trust you anymore. My heart doesn't see you as trustworthy. I'm done with your rules. But when our heart sees Him as good, when we see that He loves us, when we recognize that this is a God who came after us in Jesus, who suffered in every way that we've suffered, who lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and then still died a sacrificial death that He didn't deserve, but we did. He took our place on the cross, absorbed the wrath of God, died for us, suffered for us, but rose from the dead, proving He'd conquered sin and death once and for all. When we see all of that with, with clarity, that, that melts our heart. We're like, oh, no, okay I, okay, I can trust you. I don't like that this happened, God. We can be honest with Him. This hurts. Will you please make it stop? That's called prayer. But we can trust Him. We can recognize that He's someone we can run to in our good times and in our pain. So He says, guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Uh, said this before, keep and guard. And Proverbs, those are the same idea, right? It's not just keep, like hold on to something. It's guard, protect guard your heart. In the Hebrew, it's actually, above all other guarding that you do, guard your heart. It's a repetition of this guarding concept in the Hebrew. Guard your heart. Of all the things you're going to guard, all the things you're going to protect, guard your heart, because out of that flows the wellsprings of life. Everything else you do comes out of a heart that either trusts God or doesn't trust God, that either loves God or doesn't love God. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the left or to the right or the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So again, he's reiterating all these other things. Obey, 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 obey. But guard your heart. You're going to have to keep coming back to the heart issues. What does your heart think about God? What does your heart believe about God? I grabbed a picture here of a faucet uh, flushing out an old, dirty bucket. If you ever work in the yard, you've got like dirt in a bucket and you're using it to move things around, you can take the hose and flush the dirt out of the bucket, right? Thomas Chalmers is an old Puritan and this has been quoted a million times, but it's good, so that's why it keeps getting quoted. He had an old sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the idea that Chalmers was talking about there is that there's this power that expels the sin out of our hearts. And the power is that we see Jesus is sweeter than anything else. Right? The sin lives in our heart when we see the, sw- the sin as sweeter than Jesus. But there's this expulsive power of this new affection, an affection for Jesus, a heart that begins to see, I can, I can trust God. I see God's heart for me when I look at Jesus and that begins to flush out the other things in our heart. And this is an ongoing process 
This is not something that happens and is finished the first time you meet Jesus. We believe that if you entrust yourself to Jesus, he will save and forgive you, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. But there's an ongoing process of walking with him, maturing, growing up in the truth that's going to require you to heal your heart by continually looking back at who God is in his word. Because you're going to forget, and I'm going to forget. I forget this all the time. Like I, It's not like, well, I'm a preacher and I've been to seminary, so I remember this every day, right? Like That's not how it works. I have to wake up and make a choice of like, am I going to spend 30 minutes on Facebook or am I going to sit desperately at the feet of Jesus because he's my only hope? We have to keep running back to him. The truth is what heals our hearts. Seeing him as our greatest affection, seeing him as good. We're rereading a book that we read and talked about a lot last year called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Any of y'all, were y'all around when we passed these out at Christmas? Raise your hand if any of you have read this. A few of you, okay. Um, and then probably the other half, you got the book and you just haven't read it yet. If you have it at home, read it, okay? This is a great book, um, not, not the best book in the world, but a great book, I think a fantastic one that just keeps taking us back to the heart issues. And the way that it does that is it renews our heart, it heals our heart by seeing the heart of God. And how do we see the heart of God? We see the heart of God by looking at Jesus. And when we see the heart of Jesus, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest because I am gentle and lowly of heart. He has a heart for sinners and sufferers like you and me. It is so good. This book has been so helpful to me in my own personal life. We're rereading it right now. I read it like a year ago. I loved it. Rereading it again, it's fantastic. Chapter one is like, Jesus loves you. And then chapter two, he moves on, becomes more advanced, and it's like, Jesus really loves you. (laughs) Chapter three gets a little more complicated. Hey, hey, Jesus loves you, okay? And it's like 20 or 30 or 40, I don't know how many chapters. He just keeps going. He just keeps hammering us and hammering us and hammering us. I need my heart to be healed by the reality that Jesus loves me. You need your heart to continually be healed and cleansed by that reality. Jesus loves you. If you're forgetting, look back at Jesus. Run back to him. It's an ongoing process of letting the truth heal our heart, and it's centered on Jesus himself. We need to finish here. Y'all know I could talk all day, but we'll wrap it up. Um, The big idea is that we are to grow up in the truth. That's how you grow, right? Just like if you want your kids to grow, you feed them, you water them. If you want to grow spiritually, you, you feed on God's truth, on who he is, how he's revealed himself. In Hebrews, it says that in many different ways in the old times, God spoke to us. He spoke to us through these prophets and through his word and all these different ways. But in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son. It, it's centered on the person of Jesus. Because granted, this is a complicated book, right? When I'm telling you to base your life on the truth, I'm, I'm also kind of handing you a library, 66 books. That's a lot, right? That can be overwhelming. Jesus says, if this is too much for you, just, just look at me, Jesus says. Not me, Dave. Jesus. Jesus says, look at Jesus. Center yourself on the person of Jesus. If, if this is too much, start with him. Read the Gospels. Go back to who he is. And as he reveals himself to you, that's what's going to grow you up. So then Ephesians 4, Paul uses the image of growing up of the church, God's 
people, his body being like this child that's going through these, you know, awkward stages of the teen years, but it's getting stronger and growing and able to serve people in love. And he says, as the teaching ministry of the local church builds people up, they mature and they're able to see Jesus more clearly and operate in a kind of functional maturity. And then he says what results is then the body helps each other mature, right? It's not just the central teaching ministry of the church. He says it this way. He says that as we focus on Jesus, we'll no longer be children that are tossed around by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, right? We won't be confused by all the alternative philosophies out there in the world. But he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ. Paul has this vision that a church would be a place where the word is centrally taught. So we all gather around the word and we're matured in the word. And then guess what happens? All of us then speak this word one to another. We begin speaking the truth in love and helping each other grow up in real community as we lean on each other, as we cry together, and as we all point to the word together because that's how we're gonna grow up and mature in him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us and we've seen that most clearly in Jesus. We pray that that would change us, that that would rock us, that would transform our lives. God, I pray for those here that think this is all just a little bit uh, out there. God, I pray that you would show them in clear ways that you are real, that you are speaking to us. God, help us. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.